The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The most important thing about your business could be how your products are packaged. Packaging is the signature that you leave everywhere, and it speaks volumes about who you are and what you do. This is Ditch the Box with David Marinak. In today's show, we'll talk about marketing, increased sales, and how it relates to product packaging. Have you explored alternatives like flexible packaging? You should. It can save your company a bundle. Now, here is David Marinak. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Ditch the Box, the marketing slash flexible retail packaging slash build your brand radio show. I'm David Marinak, your host. As you know, our show is about marketing and flexible retail packaging with a few other related topics in between, such as how to build your brand, dealing with major retailers, and even supply chain. Today's guest is Daryl Bouchard with Richmond Redmond, I'm sorry, Redmond Minerals. But like we do with all our guests, we'd like to learn a little bit about his background, how he got to where he is today, and what makes him tick. So let me tell you a little bit, a little bit about Daryl. Daryl Bouchard is passionate about healthy living, healthy eating, and lifelong learning. Daryl works in marketing and business development at Redmond, a manufacturer and distributor for natural, healthy, sustainable products. Daryl grew up working for the family mineral business in Redmond, Utah, then earned a Bachelor of Science degree at Southern, Univers- Southern Utah University, followed by an MBA at Western Governors University. Daryl Bouchard, welcome to the show, my man. David, thanks for having me on today. Well, tell me, let's start there. Where does a guy um, kind of like pick up Southern Utah with, and the Thunderbirds, I might add, at Southern Utah? Was that close by where you grew up? Was there a, was there a, you know, a particular, you know, some, something that, that drew you to uh, Southern Utah? You know, a little of both. So Southern Utah University is just a few hours south of where I grew up. Uh, it's right. a nice school, but, too, it's in the beautiful Red Rock country of Utah, and also kind of up in the hills. So you've got skiing right there. You've got awesome canyoneering and mountaineering in Zion National Park. Really a great place to just enjoy the outdoors. Um, and so that was a big draw for me. Well, you know, it's interesting. As I was doing research on, on you and the show and, and those kind of things, I, I did click on their website. I went, how do you get anything done there? It, you know, we've had a few clients and a few uh, uh, visitors here to the show and they've gone to one went to the University of Hawaii, one was at UCLA, and goodness gracious, when it was some you know I I had a tough enough time at college, um, let alone trying to get through and get that piece of paper. But um, I don't know how you survived because it does look beautiful there, absolutely beautiful. Yeah, it was it was rough because you know you have to try to balance that between school and enjoying the outdoors. But a great school, um, really great staff and educators there, and I had a wonderful time. Perfect, perfect. Were you involved with anything extracurricular or strictly, you know, were you, were you involved in sports? Were you involved in, was there any Greek life there? What, what kind of stuff were you doing back then? You know, I had uh, recently got married when I was there at school, and so that's uh, always fun. And so, no, I didn't oh, yeah. do any of the Greek life there. 
Um, in high school, I wrestled and ran cross country, and so I continued that. Um, I also danced a little ballroom in college, and so that was always fun on weekends to go out and find a, a big band um, or just any band, really, to, to dance to. So um, that's what kept me busy in college. Good for you guys. I mean, that's something that my wife and I have, have dabbled in. We haven't embraced it uh, as much. Well, we just haven't had the time, but those that have kind of stuck with it, we've got a few friends, and they just live for it now. I mean, they just find a, you know, a, a couple of spots to go, and it's, that's what they do on weekends. And good for you guys. That's cool. It's a great way to exercise, and it's a lot of fun, and uh, it, you know, music just moves people, so it's, uh, we really enjoy it. Yeah. I've got to believe uh, you grew up in and out of these salt mines as a young kid, and, and then you got one of your first jobs with, do I pronounce it right, with PTAC or the Utah Procurement Technical Assistance Centers? Um, Correct. Now these, tell us what, what does PTAC do and, and, and why, you know, was, why were you drawn there? Well, growing up in the family mineral business, uh, my dad always said that, uh, that if I wanted to come back to the business, he said, I won't hire you until you work for another business for at least a couple of years out of school, um, just to you know, give you experience and let you see other things besides just the family mineral business. And growing up, I just loved the business. I had several, many, I had several siblings, and none of them were really interested in, in the mine and the salt and the minerals. And, but I always was, even at a young age. I, you know, through high school, I, every minute that I could, I would go out and, and work in the salt plants. And, and it was just who I was and part of me. And um, early on, my dad knew that I was interested in working for the business. And he said, you know, I won't hire you until you work for somebody else for a few years. So I knew I wanted to do that. And then in my last year of college, the Small Business Development Center there at Southern Utah University was looking for someone to come in and help uh, clients write business plans, help them secure uh, business loans either through the SBA or through additional financing opportunities available to small businesses. And I started to do that. And in Southern Utah, there's a big machine uh, machine shop company there. There's several other smaller companies that service the government. They do government contracting, building parts for airplanes or just, you know, different things that the government purchases. And so one of the services that we offered there at this small business development center was assistance in government contracting. So if you had a small business and you wanted to sell something to the BLM or the Forest Service or to the Air Force, um, you had this part, you could come in and we would kind of help walk you through that process. And so PTAG stands for Procurement Technical Assistance Center. Every state in the, the union has a Procurement Technical Assistance Center office. It's usually uh, co-hosted with the Small Business Development Center or with the Small Business Administration. And it's just a way to help small businesses compete against some of the great big you know, Northrop Grumman and some of these big government contractors. It helps the small business owner particularly if it's minority-owned or woman-owned or just a small sure. business to compete for some of these government contracts. You know, I, th- I think it's really cool, and I'm not blowing smoke at you, because a lot of times when kids grow up in the family business, and, and I see this, I've interviewed a lot of guests on the show, and I work um, in, with a lot of different companies. You, you can't fake it when you truly want to help other people. And one of the things I saw from your background, the same thing that I'm hearing now, is you've got this kind of a, 
Um, you know, I want to help other people. I want these these companies to be able to compete with the big boys in that in that industry or whatever that may be. And and your willingness to kind of you know get involved and help them write business plans is admirable. Was that something that you know was that part of your family makeup? Was that part of your dad uh, and your background? What was it? I know he mentioned and said, "Hey, we want you to go out there and get experience." But you could have chosen a you know a, a direct competitor. You could have chosen anything. You really kind of migrated, and, 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 and it's admirable that you migrated there to really truly help other people. And, and I just was curious of who, who, that, who instilled that in you. You know, I, I would have to probably say my folks. Um, you know, growing up, you know, in the Boy Scout program, I was an Eagle yep. Scout. And the, you know, one of the things you learn is to help other people at all times. And, and my dad was a big believer in the idea that uh, you treat people like you like to be treated. And so maybe it's in my DNA and my makeup, but I do enjoy helping others. I, I teach a few uh, free piano students for people that would like to learn the piano. Um, I teach free volume dance classes because I enjoy it so much. I don't want to make a job out of it and uh, take the fun out of it. Right. And so these are just some of the things that I enjoy doing, and I, I like to share that with others. Now, um, at the time, I was looking for an opportunity, and this was there at the college, and it was an easy one. But it also did, I think, fit my personality quite well. Well, and I and, I, and again, it's it's very cool to see, and, and it's refreshing to see from a lot of us that because it's you know it's a lot of times when we get out of college, all of us, myself included, it's like make money, make money. We got to you know because we're tired of being a college a, a broke college student, and um and and for you to kind of really go to where your heart is is really admirable. I think that's really cool. Well, thank you. Tell me, tell me, are your folks still around? Tell us a little bit about your family, siblings, kids, uh, a little bit more before we kind of wrap up this first segment. Um, and, you know, tell us a little bit more about yourself personally. Yeah, so I grew up in a little town called Redmond, Utah. It's right in the middle of the state. People might think it's central Utah uh, or southern Utah, but it's actually not. It's right uh, central, right in the middle of the state. A little rural community. There was about 800 people in the little town of Redmond. And just north of the town of Redmond is this, salt deposit that was laid down during the Jurassic era, and it just so happened to be under my grandfather's farm. And so growing up, my family, I'm one of eight children, and uh, we used to tease my parents and tell them that, uh, you know, it's cheaper to raise help than it was to hire help, and so they had eight kids. Um, But uh, interestingly enough, I was the only one that was really interested in the salt business. I've got a, a brother who's an MD, I've got a brother who's a chiropractor, I've got a brother... Um, he's in the IT business. I've got a sister who's an attorney um, and one that teaches piano. So we just ended up in all kinds of different walks of life. And it was just fun to see, you know, where each of us um, ended up, um, even though we had this salt as the background, this minerals that, that I just loved science and geology. So it was a shoe in for me, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't required and uh, everybody could just find what made them excited. And uh, for most, it wasn't salt. But for me, I just, I love salt and minerals and geology, and it was a perfect fit. So um, personally, I've got uh, three kids. Uh, my wife and I are uh, next month, we'll be celebrating our 15-year anniversary. Good for and you. And we've got three happy and healthy boys. One loves gymnastics, one loves soccer, um, one loves baseball, and uh, yep. it's just been great. Good for you. I mean, I, I would, I'm a, I'm envious because I can only rem- imagine being, uh, being a boy and, and, and being around, um, a big, heavy equipment, um, getting to go in and out of the mines, 
getting being able to get dirty and not getting um, having mom yell at you because um, it's part of your upbringing and that's part of what you guys do. Um, I just think that is probably just the coolest thing, and I can't imagine you were you had to have been the coolest guy in, in elementary school and grade school because it's like, hey, come on over to Daryl's house. I mean, we're going to go and play in the mines. I mean, that's fantastic. <laughs> Um, that might uh, you know make it sound even cooler than it really was, but uh, growing <laughs> up, I just um, you know really enjoyed you know driving loaders and, and driving right. trucks and you know way earlier than we probably should have, and uh, you know we had to you know make some changes there with the uh, safety regulations and the O shot and oh, shot. Yeah. Um, but it, it is a, a great place to grow up in rural areas, and uh, it is just a lot of fun. Uh, good for you. Hey, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to uh, uh, come back and learn more about Redmond and more about the different lines of your business. And, folks, I want you to stay tuned. This is a very, very cool show, and I'm, I'm excited to have Daryl here with us. Stay tuned. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are listening to Ditch the Box with David Marinak. If you would like more information about our program, send David an email to david at standuppouches.net. That's david at standuppouches.net. Now back to Ditch the Box. Welcome back to Ditch the Box, ladies and gentlemen. We're talking with our friend Daryl Bouchard from Redmond Minerals. To recap and make our listeners more aware of the background of Redmond. Redmond's story begins in 1958 when a prolonged drought forced two brothers to abandon their farm in central Utah. Aware the Native Americans had once harvested salt rock from their farmland, Milo and Lamar Bouchard had borrowed little money and went into the salt business with little more than sledgehammers, picks, and a determination to provide for their families. Their salt deposit, the result of prehistoric volcanic activity that encased an ancient seabed, provided a naturally balanced mineral salt that local ranchers credited for healthier herds. As the salt's reputation grew, the Bessards brothers purchased land from the neighbors, giving them access to the entire deposit, estimated to extend several thousand feet below the surface of the earth. It wasn't only ranchers placing a premium on Redmond salt products. In the 1960s, local governments realized that Redmond salt melted road ice more efficiently than traditional white salt. And Redmond began marketing crushed salt 
as a premium highway de-icing salt. The product would later be known as Ice Slicer, and its often imitated reddish color is still visible on clear winter roads throughout the western United States. Eventually, Redmond's customers began asking for salt that they could use in the kitchen. So in 1984, Redmond introduced Real Salt brand sea salt. Real Salt's all-natural blend of minerals and salty sweet flavor has made it one of Redmond's most recognizable brands worldwide and the best-selling salt in America's health food stores. In the early 90s, the Bouchard family considered a new direction for the company's future. Convinced that their products had unrealized potential, Redmond hired Rhett Roberts as a consultant to evaluate Redmond's products and strategies. Roberts presented several ideas that would help Redmond become more than a traditional family-owned business, and the Bouchards eventually asked him to join the company to implement the changes. Change came frequently under Robert's leadership. Products were rebranded, rebranded, and repositioned, and the marketplace featuring or manufacturing processes were updated, and a new corporate uh, philosophy began to form. Roberts had big ideas, and the, and the Bouchard family came to trust in his vision and integrity. Eventually, the family decided the values and legacy of the company would continue with Roberts, and he purchased Redmond in 1999. Redmond has grown steadily since then, extending well beyond the original focus of agricultural salt. Their brands include products for animals, businesses, homes, and their bodies, with each division focusing its growth on enriching the lives of their customers. Developing these brands helps Redmond remain true to its founder's vision that the company exists to bless the lives of others. In, 196, I'm sorry, in 2016, Forbes recognized Redmond as one of the best small businesses in America. The Redmond Incorporated has several offshoots, Redmond Trading Company, Redmond Equine, Real Foods Market and their products include such as Real Salt, like we mentioned, Real Light, Redmond Bath Salt, Redmond Clay, and even Earth Place, Earth Paste. Plus, you have interest in several other vinyl products, fencing, uh, fencing Daryl, I don't even know where to start, a magazine for associates called um, Elevate. I, I just really, you got a ton going on. So where do I start? So take us back to those early days as a kid. Who was running the business, um, and what was it like back then? This was back pre-Mr. Um, Roberts coming in. So take us a little bit of back. Was your dad running the show then? Yeah, so uh, there were the two brothers that you mentioned, Milo and Lamar, who started the business. Uh, during, the, during World War II, Milo had worked for McDonnell Douglas as a riveter and then worked right. his way up into the management uh, there. And his brother was working for Kennecott, which is one of the largest copper mines in the world. Um, so he was familiar with heavy equipment and explosives. And so they wanted to come back to their roots, come back to their father's uh, farm and give a go at farming. And they tried that. But as you mentioned, there was this drought in the late 1950s, and the farm wasn't providing enough food or revenue right. for the families. And they knew there was salt under their farm, and so they uh, knocked the alfalfa and the cornfield out of the way and started selling this salt that was underneath their farm. And it worked great. And like you mentioned, it was started initially for agriculture, and the, the cows seemed to love it, and then started selling it for ice melt, and it's actually the premium ice melt in the West. It melts at lower temperatures and then processed salt or the white salt that comes out of the Great Salt Lake. And then when the health food movement started to take off, it moved into, moved into the food industry. Sure. It takes a different personality, we've found, to grow a business to 30 as employees as it does to 300 employees. Right. And we felt that the business had kind of started to plateau a little bit. We were still growing, but we knew there was so much more potential there. And that's when uh, Rhett Roberts came on as an associate. He also grew up there in the town of, uh, right near the town of Redmond. And so we knew his family and knew him. And he came and worked as an intern uh, when he was working on his MBA program at 
at Brigham Young University. And so after a couple of years, we decided to hire him because he had a lot of the same philosophy of wanting to treat people the way we wanted to be treated and, and also developing associates and this idea that, that work can be more than just work. You know, sometimes right. people work their whole life um, and then quit and then spend all this money on charity or spend all this time and energy on charity, which is wonderful. But we thought, you know, couldn't it be both? Couldn't you do what you love and couldn't your work be more than just work? And so that's kind of this philosophy that we have that we've kind of coined elevating the human experience because we want to elevate uh, not only our associates, but those suppliers and customers and people we interact with. And Brad Roberts really encompassed that and helped that to nurture and grow. So in 1990, we sold the business to him and uh, still stayed on. A lot of the family still involved and um, still involved with land and the mineral rights and the company. And, and it's just been really neat to see how much it's grown under Rhett's leadership. And it's really opened up a lot different ways to see see things and see our products. You know, sometimes you can't see the forest because the trees are in the way. That's right. And, uh, you know, being having this salt company in the family for so long, you start seeing it more as it maybe as a commodity and less of this incredible resource that it was. And so that really helped um, keep moving that idea forward that, hey, these, this is a high-quality uh, mineral product that uh, can compete with any product in the world. Um, and under his leadership, it's really taken off. I, you know, I think it's fascinating. So your dad, your dad was pretty much at the helm when you were a kid and growing up. That kind of stuff. Your dad uh, is strictly family at that particular point, of course. Before you, yeah, the leadership okay. was was strictly family. And because those two, the way the two brothers kind of started the business, my grandpa right. with his management experience and his brother with the mining experience. That's kind of how the original company was set up. So my my grandpa's brother did all of more of the operations side. And right. so when his kids were growing up, um, they did more stuff with his dad. And so they ended up more on the operations side. And my grandpa, his uh, boys, would come and work with him in the office side. And so just kind of how it, it was developing was, you know, my dad was more involved and his brother was more involved in the office and the sales and the marketing side. And then my uncles were more involved in the operations side of the business just because they wanted to spend time with their dad who, you know, kind of originally started in that side right. of the business. Right. Um, you know, one of the things that was really neat about the sale of the business, you know, as a business owner, you're kind of stuck doing the, all of the stuff that you may not really enjoy about business. Right. For instance, you may be the business owner and you really don't like dealing with HR, or maybe um, you really don't want to, you know, work with, accounting or something, but because it's a family business and you have the family name, you're kind of stuck in this role that you have to, even if you're not really good at it. And so what it also was really neat with the sale of the company, when when the sale took place, all of my family that was still working there, they just sat down and said, you know, what part of this business makes me tick? What part of it makes me feel alive? In my dad's case, he just loves working with customers, just being that customer service, customer support, and doesn't really enjoy the management side or the office side of managing the business. You know, if he had to let somebody go, he would stress for three months before and six months after. Um, And so by selling it, it allowed all of the original family to really zero in and focus on the part of the business 
that they really enjoy and they could just let go of those other roles and responsibilities that they were that they felt obligated to because they were, you know, quote unquote the, the business owner. You know, it's it's it takes a lot of foresight to be able to kind of really um, sit down there, and, and I would imagine it wasn't an easy conversation, um, and I and I would imagine it was it, a lot of soul searching because it's you know like you had mentioned your your dad and his background. If he he worries a lot about his people, he worries obviously about his kids and his family. So I'm sure this was not an easy decision, even though you guys had known Mr. Roberts and that kind of stuff. However, it takes a tremendous amount of of foresight to. To kind of really say, because I see a lot of family businesses, businesses in general, fail when they don't enjoy, like you're saying, when they don't really focus on what they really love to do and hire that out or let somebody else that enjoys HR or accounting or whatever versus me who enjoys the selling part or your dad enjoys the customer relations or whatever. What I'm getting at is that, you know, a lot of companies um, will will literally, that proverbial push and pull, they're going to push on the pull door and not go anywhere or be stagnant or, and and it just takes a tremendous, because I can see this huge pivot that happened with Redmond when you guys decided to kind of um, uh, allow Mr. Roberts to get involved and then, of course, sell the, the business to him, but stay around. And because it's this family atmosphere that seems to really kind of inter, interweave throughout the entire organization. And it really, it's not a fluke. It's not some sort of a, um, you know, you, you can see when it's fake. People know when it's fake. Your folks, and from what I've what I've learned, what I've experienced, what I've been a part of, they really do love being there, and 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 good for you guys for doing that. And I just think it's it's I think it's very very refreshing to see. You know, I would agree. As I look uh, as I look at my own personality now, you know, if you would have asked me when I was eighteen, I probably would have said no. I don't think we ought to sell the business. Right. However, looking at how I know myself now, I would be a mess with the stress and, and the parts of the business that I really have no business in being involved in. Right. Um, and yet, because we did sell it, I get to do the parts of the business that I love, which is going out and teaching people about Redmond and about real salt and clay and how you can use these products, rather than you know being forced or, or encouraged to you know take a management position where, you know, if we hadn't sold, you know, that may be more of where I would have ended up because, you know, out of obligation or out of, you know, something. Responsibility Um, for the family and all that kind of stuff. Sure. Yeah. And and, and let's, let's, let's kind of, you mentioned something that was interesting. You had said that, um, and I'm not sure when this kind of came together, but your uh, your mineral deposits, um, this isn't a commodity. This is a very high quality um, product, that mineral that can be used in so many different, which we'll talk about here a little bit later on the show, talk about different product lines that you've branched off into. But there's there's a considerable difference between what you've got. Is that correct? And, 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 and your minerals, per se? Is that a fair statement? Yeah, absolutely. You know, when you hear salt from Utah, the first thing that people think of is the Great Salt Lake. Right. Um, and it's a, a great guess, but it's several miles and several thousand feet off. Um, you know, the Great Salt Lake is a pretty polluted body of salt water, for one. It's remnants of a lake called Lake Bonneville, which geologists put about 60,000 years ago. Now, I wasn't alive then to confirm the actual dates, um, but eons ago, there was this inland sea called Lake Bonneville, and when it receded, it gave us the Bonneville Salt Flats, where they do yep. all of the world yep. land speed records. Yeah. And then it left us with this lake called the Great Salt Lake. Well, two hours 
two and a half hours south of the Great Salt Lake, there's this seabed underneath the town of Redmond, and geologists put this seabed back during the Jurassic era. Wow. Now, when it comes to salt, salt can come from comes from seawater, and it can come from a current ocean, like the San Francisco Bay or the Gulf of Mexico, uh, or it can come from a dead sea, like the Dead Sea in Israel, or the Dead Sea known as the Great Salt Lake, or other right. seas that are dead inland seas, or it can come from an ancient seabed. This is a Jurassic Age seabed that was laid down, you know, back during the Jurassic era, covered in heat and pressure, and then has been pushed up into a salt pillar. The really nice thing about this ancient sea salt is that, unfortunately, the San Francisco Bay or the Gulf of Mexico or the Hudson or, you know, these bodies of salt water aren't near as clean as they were 10 years ago, That's let alone right. a thousand years ago or a million right. years ago. Right. And so this ancient seabed that we're operating in was laid down long before we had, you know, the microbeads in the water, long before we had the BP oil spill or the Exxon Valdez. And so right. this salt formation has been protected under the ground. For, for millennia, or definitely eons, and all we do is go and, and harvest it. And so because not only does it have the sodium and chloride, but it also has over 60 other natural minerals that when it comes to product use, whether you're melting salt or melting ice on roads, or you're feeding your cows or your horse or your um, you know goats salt, uh, you not only get the sodium and chloride, but you get it in a form with these other minerals that are much cleaner and healthier than some of these other alternatives that we have on the market today. You know, and I, and I, and I'm thinking as fast as you're talking, cause this is really fun for me. Folks we're talking with our friend, Daryl Bouchard from Redmond uh, based in, is it Heber city? Do I pronounce that right? In Utah? Correct. Okay. Got it. Now you've got this, this great deposit and you've done such a great job of, of, um, of looking for and finding, um, these, these businesses and building businesses, I shouldn't say finding, but building businesses that use your, uh, minerals as a, as a, as a base, if you will. I mean, we talked a little bit before, um, but you know, the, the bath salt and the, and the Redmond clay and even earth paste, um, you know, are you guys, is that something that, I mean, how long are you constantly? I just imagine you guys and your team and 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 back there, kind of coming up with, uh, you know, different. Hey, what can we make and what can we use? Are you constantly looking for, you know, other alternatives to use these minerals and to be able to kind of formulate new product and product lines? Is that a, is is that does that make sense? Yeah, you know, we do now more so than we have ever in the past. However, right. how we've got to where we are, it. And we always kind of joke here internally, is it because of our uh, great marketing or in spite of our marketing that we've <laughs> been able to do this? Um, but initially, you know, we really, what brought us to where we are today is just listening to our customers. You know, we, we started out selling mostly to agricultural users, right. um, you know, local farmers that said, wow, this salt is, is amazing. Not only... So the cows preferred. If you put out, you know, a chunk of our salt and uh, you know a block of of white processed salt, the cows will go over and they'll eat our salt and the ground that our salt was sitting on before they'll eat the other processed no white kidding. block. And so the cows know what's good for them. 
And, you know, then these farmers were saying, hey, you know, we'd like to use this on our roads. And they came to us and said, hey, we're using your agricultural salt and it's working great as this ice melt. And, of course, we were using it for ourselves. And, and so then we started to sell it. We said, let's put it in a, a, new, a different bag and uh, put a de-icing label on it. And so we sold it for de-icing. And then, you know, when the health move, food movement took off, a nutritionist came through the area. I think he was touring the Grand Canyon or something. And on his way back up through central Utah, stopped by and, and was just so impressed with not only the flavor of our salt, but with the mineral content. And he said, right. no, this is the healthiest food salt I've ever seen. Um, it needs to be in the health food stores. And so we said, well, okay, we'll put another label on it and sell it in health food stores. And then, you know, we get into... Uh, Moving forward another, you know, several years and these uh, equine enthusiasts, these, you know, horse lovers said, wow, this, this salt for my horse, um, they drink more water, which helps right. with colic and things when you have, when I have your salt available in the stall. And so we put it in a different bag with the horse on it and, uh, you know, made it available for the horse. And, and it's a little more complicated than that, but the, the, Thing that I think we've done really well is just listening to the market and to our customers, right. and then and then trying to to help find easier ways for them to find and use the product. And same thing with the clay. You know, growing up, maybe because my dad was cheap, or maybe because he was a genius, <laughs> we would often brush our teeth with a combination of clay powder, which we have there near the salt deposit, and yeah, salt. right. Now, yeah, if you've right. ever had a tooth extracted, they'll tell you to gargle with salt water. Yep. Or if you've had a sore throat, they'll tell you to gargle with salt water. And so salt is great for the mouth, and the teeth is a great cleanser. And so I never had a cavity growing up. And so we thought, you know what, why don't we put it together and make a toothpaste out of it? And so that's kind of what uh, gave birth to earth paste, which is our mud-looking toothpaste that we thought would be kind of crazy and nobody would like but us, but it's turned out to be a great product line. It's so cool how this has kind of evolved, and, I, and I'm going to kind of uh, before I forget. So, uh, silly question: Now, how far down are you are you mining? I mean, I've seen some pictures on your website, and I mean, you're down. How many how many feet are we going from from? I guess you could say the the ground level where your where your business is. I mean, are you going down a hundred feet? Are we going down a thousand feet? What is that? Because it looks pretty substantial. Yeah. So the deposit itself is about a quarter mile wide three miles long and 5,000 feet deep. That's what we estimate the, the physical deposit to be. If you push your fingers, if you put the tips of your fingers together and you start pushing yeah. increased amounts of pressure, eventually your fingers are going to buckle and go straight up. Right. Um, underground, as the tectonic plates are shifting and pushing, this salt deposit that's now you know buried several thousand feet deep starts to push and compress. And as the fault lines in the mountains of Utah are getting pushed up, this salt deposit got pushed up as well. And the deposit crests about 30 feet from the surface. Some places it's closer, some places it's a little bit further, but within 30 feet of the surface, the salt stops. And then it's capped with this clay that keeps huh. the fresh water from the surface washing away the deposit. And since we started mining back in the 50s, we're down the deepest spot in the mines about 350 to 400 feet. Now, that might sound like a lot if you're not familiar with mining, but in mining, 400 feet deep is really just scratching the surface. That's what I thought, exactly. And, I, and the reason why I kind of brought that up is I'm in Cleveland in the Midwest, and a lot of people don't realize that there is a, a very big salt deposit underneath Lake Erie. 
and and they're down. I don't know how far down, but it's is it is it miles? I, I don't know, but it's way more than you know three hundred fifty to four hundred feet, and and that's where I wanted to kind of base this. I just think it's very interesting. So you and if you um, and geologists only really know, but how many years do you think? Uh, or oh, no, say geologists only really know, but how many years do you estimate um, available uh, with your current output? Uh, of availability of, of of this salt and minerals? We think that there's between 900 and 1,200 years. So <laughs> we can keep using quite a bit. Go ahead and salt your eggs tomorrow morning because we'll have, <laughs> we'll have plenty for you. <laughs> That's fantastic. All right, so, all right, thank you. That's well put. So one of the, one of the, the businesses I saw um, that you have or are involved in is vinyl and fencing. Um, tell us, does that... Does that have some sort of a derivative of, of your minerals and salt, or is that just a completely oddball business that, that Redmond seems to be in? Uh, completely oddball business. Uh, we knew the owners of the company, and they had the same philosophy that we did as far as you know, wanting to be more than just a business, wanting to, to really elevate their associates, elevate their customers. So they had the same business philosophy. Um, in the mineral business as well, a lot of our sales is going into the icing material, which right. the sales cycle takes place between November and maybe March or April when there's snow on the ground. And so there is some seasonality there, and it's always a little bit hard to manage employees that way because you don't want to lay anybody off, and you don't want you know families right. need to eat all summer too. Sure. Um, and so finding a business that not only had our core values, but then also is more summer focused um, in, you know, fencing. If you're going to put up a nice gazebo or maybe a deck on your back, you're not going to do it in the wintertime. Right. Um, at least not here in Utah. And so finding a business that has a heavier workflow that's based in the summer, it allows us to share associates. And so rather than having a fence crew that has to maybe lay off a few people when the snow starts to fall, um, by having these businesses that kind of mirror each other, we're yeah. able to shift some resource from the summer to more of a winter business um, without having to disrupt families or uh, make some harder business decisions. And so it's really twofold. One, it makes good business decisions for us. It kind of helps balance out that cash flow. And then yeah. it also is a great way to keep developing our associates and their associates by not having to have some of that seasonality you might get with a, a very heavy winter ice slicer type business or a fencing company. And it's been a, a nice partnership um, since we uh, kind of acquired them several years ago. Yeah, and that's and it, it's well put because there there is that, and I, you took the word out of my mouth, the seasonality, um, and, and when there are um, changes of season, and, and again, it takes a lot of foresight to go, hey, we want to make sure that we keep food on their table. These people are part of our family. Redmond kind of eats and sleeps that. It's not a bunch of talk, but you guys really show that. And I mean, I think it's, it's, it's very cool. Good for you guys. Now, let me, let me kind of ask you um, now re- regarding real salt, you're kind of bread and butter, if you will. You, um, you, you mine it, you grind it, then you sift it. Is there anything else done um, to real salt uh, that, that, you know, uh, you clean it? Do you, and I know you, you're quite proud and rightfully so that you don't process it or do any, you know, add anything to it. But tell us what all's involved with that, you know, really and truly mining it and then putting it in a salt shaker, if you will. Yeah, you know, you pretty much explained the entire process right there. And, and in fact, you could do the whole process with a hammer out of your toolbox and a screen wow. 
out of your kitchen window. Um, the bigger part of that process is within the mine, we have different grades. And by different grades, I mean different levels of mineral content. And so there might be spots of the mine that have a little more mineral or a little less mineral. And for the food salt, we like this mineral to be about 97 to 98%. And it gives us a really pretty rosy, uh, reddish look, kind of a speckled look to the salt. It gives us that flavor and that uh, kind of um, profile that we're looking for. And so in the food salt, we really rely on our mine team who knows underground and knows salt you know, better than, than anybody, really. And they can go through and just look at the different veins underground. And everything underground is salt. So the floor is salt, the ceiling salt, the walls are salt. And this isn't like a dark coal mine with you know, narrow ceilings and narrow passages. In the mine, the ceilings are 40 feet tall. The, the tunnels are 60 to 80 feet wide. And so it's like you're driving down the Manhattan Tunnel. These are just really big tunnels. It's not like a dark, scary mine. Um, but in the mine, the miners will target spots that have this mineral content that we're looking for. And once they target that, we grind the food salt off the wall with um, just a, a, it's called a drum that just kind of chews the salt off the wall, right, and then we right. put it in a stainless steel mill and then crush it down to the table salt size or the uh, grinder salt size that we're looking for and put it in a shaker, and that's it. I'll be done. And the other, you know, the bath salt, the um, the equine salts, Redmond clay, that kind of thing, um, I know it's it's got a, it's got the base of it has to do with your your mineral your salt mineral um but those kind of things have additional steps to it i mean silly question but that do i have that right um not really the okay. uh, we, we don't really do anything to the bath salt either we don't uh, currently we've looked at doing some um product added bath salt but ours is just more mineral and so we just target a spot in the mine that has more mineral in it and so instead of maybe having two percent uh, of this additional mineral outside of the salt we might target a section of the mine that has maybe six or eight percent mineral and so that's what will go into the bath salt so it gives a more of a dusty uh, clay bath salt experience but it's just because of the spot that we target in the mine. And same thing with our, our agricultural salt and our de-icing salt. So the, uh, we'll take out about, um, I think around 16,000 tons a week is the amount of salt we extract. And most of that we will put in stockpiles or in uh, bags for sidewalks and roads to keep the roads safe. Right. Um, and then the next portion, the next largest portion goes to the agricultural use. You know, we'll sell salt in, in plastic 50-pound um, and 50-pound bags for farmers to mix in. You know, cows need salt. You need salt. If, if you get sick and go to the hospital, the first thing they're going to do is they're going to give you an IV uh, right. saline solution, which is salt water. Right, right. And so you need you need this salt, and so does all animal life. And so we sell a lot to organic farmers and to ranchers. And then the smallest portion, uh, tonnage-wise, uh, becomes our food salt. And the real big guys that are out there, those traditional 900-pound gorillas in that salt business, they're uh, Morton Salt, for example. Again, I mentioned um, they've got a huge facility in, in further from here, but again, on the, on the, um, on the banks of, the, of Lake Erie. And now they t- it's a different kind of salt. They're doing all kinds of other stuff that's, a, that's more of a process kind of approach because one of the things that I think our, our listeners are really taking is you've got this completely opposite, completely different type of, of, of salt. 
Um, do they, from what you know, I mean, those, those big Morton salts, are they processing and putting in caking agents and all kinds of other stuff to their particular salt? Yeah, you know, it really depends on the on the the, the, the intended use of the product. Right, if you do look right. at the shaker of most salt, if you flip it over, you're going to see things like uh, calcium silicoaluminate, or maybe you'll see something called yellow prescutus soda or sodium ferrocyanide. Salt is naturally hygroscopic. Hygroscopic right. means that it sucks moisture out of the air. And so many salts will clump because it will suck the water out of the air on a humid day. And to stop that moisture reaction, many salt companies will add additives to do that. We leave all of that out, and because the salt is naturally dry from this crystalline structure, it has less of a tendency to clump than something that's coming from a current ocean. The other thing that happens with a lot of salts, if you go home tonight for dinner and you look at the salt that comes out of a, a canister salt, all of the crystals may look like uh, beady cubes. Right. They all look exactly uniform. It's probably been run through what they call vacuum pan evaporation, which changes a little bit the nature of the salt. They add some chemicals to it to do that, and they they evaporate the salt in a vacuum so they can use less heat because water will boil in a vacuum at a lower temperature. But it starts to change the nature of the salt. The salt will be crunchy. You know, just like when you look at flour, you know, flour doesn't, normal wheat flour doesn't look stark white. Right. Um, it's only the refined and processed flour that does. And you know, a snowflake doesn't look all the same either. They should have a lot of variation. So a natural salt crystal will have more, it look more like a snowflake than it does a processed sugar cube. Um, so you should see some natural color generally in a salt like the gray salt that comes out of France or the pink salt that comes out of Pakistan or the real right. salt that comes in Utah uh, versus a very uniform uh, processed looking salt crystal. Man, there's a lot more to this than I thought. I think it's very cool. I, it's fascinating. I want to make sure we take the final segments or pieces of this show. We're going to go right to the to the end. Um, our listeners and um, are, are, I'm fascinated with this. I want to kind of make sure we tie this together with marketing because your title includes business development. Um, you know, tell us a little bit more about what you do and and what segments of the Redmond business are you looking to expand? You know, is there you know where the opportunities are? Um, tell tell us and our listeners a little bit more about what it is that you're doing from the marketing and development side. You know, the interesting thing with our market today is consumers are becoming more and more aware. You know, even if you went back even five years ago or three years ago, the number of people that were looking for organic produce or they were looking for the organic label or even reading the label on their foods was much lower percentage. And years ago, if you walked into a whole food store, a natural food store, it looked a lot different than a Kroger or a Meyer or a uh, a big chain Safeway or Albertsons. Today, that's not the case. If you walk into a conventional grocery store, it looks more and more like a Whole Foods. And if you sure. walk into a Whole Foods store, it's looking more and more like a conventional store. Yep. And so yep. I think our consumers today and the millennial generation coming up, they want to connect with the business. They're tired of the smoke and mirrors of these large multi-conglomerate businesses. And you buy something and you have no idea where it came from or who put it in the the bag or the box. Um, And that's going to change. And so I'm really excited about what the market will look like in 10 years or 20 years or for our kids and grandkids, because I think, you know, people want to be more connected to their food and to their suppliers. um, And I think that's exciting. And I think whether, you know, you're getting eggs or you're getting 
kale for your salad or you're buying salt or your whatever it is or even the clothes that you wear, right. um, I think our approach to that's going to look a lot different, and that's what makes me most excited. You know, I think it's neat. I'm 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 actually giving a talk next week, and it's a totally unrelated industry. I'm, I, we do a lot of work in the packaging business and retail packaging, and it's this is in the pet business. And um, I was asked to give a talk on um, how consumers buy with their eyes. And part of this talk, and I think you will definitely agree because you mentioned it, is the influence of the millennials. And the millennials want to be involved. They want to know. Um, like you were saying, how their product is sourced, and you know, uh, even down as far as their packaging, uh, is it environmentally friendly? Is you know, so the millennials are definitely wielding influence um, as we go forward, and and I think it's going to change a lot of stuff. And it's fascinating because they are not afraid to speak their mind, whether it's over the phone or social media or whatever it may be, and they're also um, not uh, afraid to really demand what they want. And I think it's really interesting because one of the questions I was going to ask you is, you know, how does um, Redmond really compete with the really big boys? And, and you also kind of kind of brought that together in the fact that because the industry and in in our world is changing, because we have social media, because we have the ability to kind of um, instruct our, 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 our customers on, um, you know, just like we're doing here, or I'm sure you do um, blogging and reports and eBooks or whatever it may be on the, on the benefits and, and value of your, of your product and minerals and, and salt. It's really interesting. It's a leveling of the playing, uh, playing field. You know, the big Morton salts, the big 900-pound gorillas that can just jam it down, you know, the retailer's store shelves. It's not like that anymore. Things are really changing. And I think it's going to be really interesting uh, And in that even three to five years, Daryl, um, of where things are going to be. I would absolutely agree, David. And I think it'll be fun for all of us to see, you know, what that, uh, not only the products, but the, the way they're sourced and the way they're packaged. Right. Um, and I, I think it's actually going to be a good move for all of us to move to more award towards sustainability. Um, right. I think that generation is, is more aware of that. And, and I think the products and the packaging that comes about because of that is only going to move us and the, the world further ahead. You know, anything we can do that's going to make a difference. I mean, nothing's going to be, you know, we didn't get into this, um, you know, we, we, as a country, we've always been, and I do a lot of work overseas. I've been spent a lot of time overseas and, um, you know, our country has been fat and happy for a very, very long time and it's coming and things are changing and there's new styles and new materials and things that are available. And, and I just, you know, and I, and I'm excited too, because I think that, it does give opportunity to not just the biggest guys. It allows companies like Redmond to flourish. It allows companies to kind of really compete with the big boys. And, and it's going to change. And, and it's changing right before our eyes. And it's exciting for us, too. I think it's a great point. So let's, let's kind of, as we kind of head down towards the, the finish line here, I, one of the things I like to really ask some of our clients as we kind of get into the wrap-up mode is you, you had mentioned, you know, um, you know, three to five years or longer down the road that things are going to be changing. But um, where do you see Redmond in three to five years? Where do you see you guys? More product lines, less product lines? Um, you know, if you were looking out into your crystal ball. Um, I would see more product lines. You know, in the past, because of this, uh, the, the gorilla in the marketplace that you mentioned, it's re- it was really hard for a small manufacturer to launch a new item because right. of the distribution limitations. But with social media and blogs and direct-to-consumer through, you know, Amazon and all these other ways, you know, you don't have to get into, you know, 10,000 stores 
to sell any product. And so we've got a fun, a lot of new fun products in the works, a lot of fun body care products that uh, we have hesitated to launch because we didn't want to try to buy all that shelf space across the U.S. But now because we can, you know, try smaller runs and, you know, throw it out online and kind of see how it goes, we're really excited. So I think we'll have a lot of fun new products in the next three to five years crossing the, the human industry, the pet industry, the agricultural industry, a lot of fun things. What are some of the things that you, Daryl, now we're talking to you yourself, you know, you've, you've obviously seen this business go from obviously the very beginning stages or, or somewhat as it's unfolded. What are some of the things you're most proud of? I mean, some of the things that you're, um, you know, when you sit down and you're having your cup of coffee or whatever at the end of the day, you know, you guys at Redmond in general, I mean, you yourself, what are some of the things that you're most proud of and how you've been able to kind of be involved in this very, very cool company? Um, twofold. One, it's fun to see and hear customers' experience. You know, maybe somebody right. was having, you know, problems with water retention or some medical uh, challenge, and they switched over to our salt versus maybe the processed salt they were using, and they write us and tell us how much it changed them in their lives. Or we'll hear from an athlete who was struggling with cramping and muscle fatigue, and then they switched to our electrolyte replacer and how right. much it gave them their sport back. And so those things just really kind of touch me because I done the same in, in my life, and it's fun to, to see how they're in, uh, impacting lives. And then secondly, just seeing how Redmond is affecting the communities that we're involved in and our greater associate families. Um, it's just fun to see, you know, what kind of an impact Redmond has had on, on lives. Um, and I know that kind of sounds overly utopian. No, um, but, I, but it's, yeah, and, yeah it's, but it's not. You guys, and I, I'm sorry to interrupt you with that, but it's, and that's, and I didn't mean to, uh, but it's so important because it's interwoven throughout the entire fabric of your company. It's something that it's not, you know, it's not just a couple of drivel where people are going, oh, our, our employees are really important to us. I mean, just look at Elevate Magazine and just look at how you treat your folks and, and how you have positioned your season and try to work towards the seasonality of your business to make sure that people aren't starting and stopping and being laid off and starting and stopping. And, um, you know, it just, it, it goes beyond that. And props to you guys for doing it. Sorry to interrupt you on that. Oh, that's okay, David. I just appreciate the time we've had to visit on the phone today and, and look forward to meeting you in person one of these days. Yeah, man, we're going to get together. Final quick thing, um, trade shows, uh, Booner Bust for Redmond. Is that something you guys are constantly going to? Is that something that's, um, uh, has that been effective for you guys? Tell us a little bit more about what it is that you're doing strategy-wise as we wrap up. Yeah, so we do attend uh, a lot of trade shows, um, and we're actually changing our focus a little bit to uh, do more consumer events. You know, a lot of cities will have like a, a green living yep. festival where they will have something like that. So we're trying to do that more, um, not in lieu of the, the, the industry shows. Yeah. We're still going to do those, but as a way to just start interacting more with the end user and not just the distributor or the, the grocery store or the uh, ag store cool. or the tax yeah. store. I think that's really cool, and I wanted to make sure I kind of got that in there because I see things are changing, and you guys are leading the way. So, hey, man, this has been a thrill for me, Daryl. I, I, I'm, I'm really glad that you're here. I hope you'll come back and kind of give us a, an update from time to time on what Redmond's doing, and, and we'll go from there. That would be great, David. Thanks again for having me on. Uh, you're welcome, bud. And, folks, remember, our show airs 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America family of channels. Remember, until next time, Packaging is the voice of your brand. Use it properly and watch your business grow. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day. Thanks, bud. Thanks, Daryl. 
Thanks for listening to Ditch the Box. We're live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please join David Maranak for another great show next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.